Hello and welcome to this episode of The Future of Schools, the podcast that explores how technology is impacting the classroom and most of the people behind it. I'm Connor Flynn, your host and COO at Adaptomy, and today we're discussing the German education system in schools, and my guest today is the famous David Klett. Hi David, thanks for coming on the show. Hi Connor. Um, for those listeners unfamiliar with the educational publishing industry, can you tell us who are Klett? So Klett is um, a family business founded more than 100 years ago, and it was founded by my great grandfather. Mm -hmm. Before the war, um, we were more focused on street advertisement and printing, but after the war, we had the chance to enter the textbook market. So between 45 and 85, we were mostly offering textbooks to German schools, a little bit Swiss schools and Austrian schools, but the main focus was Germany. In the 90s, my father started to expand the business internationally and also into other domains, what means distance learning, running schools, kindergartens. And um, so the, develop, the, the, the company developed further and further. Today, Klett uh, operates in 16 different countries. Um, we're talking about 70 different companies and uh, it is by far more than just offering textbooks we're mm -hmm. talking about. A lot of professional resources for teachers, magazines, loose-leaf products, photocopyables, but also running 40 schools in three different countries, 150 kindergartens, several universities, maybe on-site or via distance learning. So yeah, that is what is Klett today. Around 5,000 people are working for them. Wow. Would you say Klett is the biggest educational company in Europe? Yeah. If we're talking about Europe or continental Europe, I would say we should be the largest one. And David, you're an expert in educational systems and educational publishing around the world. I've had lots of conversations with you before about the difference between the philosophies of education systems in different countries, and you've educated me a lot about what you describe as the Anglo-Saxon education system. But can you tell me a little bit from your perspective, what does education mean in Germany? Like, what is the philosophy of education in Germany? I guess, like, every, every answer to that question is must be wrong, but maybe there are different levels of being wrong. So... I, I try to give an answer, um, but still knowing that everything I say now is somehow uh, a, a reduction, a, a reduction mm -hmm. that is actually not, you know, considering the complexity um, of our educational system and its traditions. But, you know, if I really have to boil it down, the philosophical roots of the education or the idea of education in Germany is idealism. Um, you could say in the Anglo-Saxon world, it's empirism. And mm -hmm. um, so if you, if you discuss, for instance, people in, with Germany, teachers, for instance, or people in the administration, what they think about PISA and mm -hmm. PISA tests, they admit on one hand that it was a German who came up with that thing, um, <laughs> Mr. Schleicher, who runs PISA until today. And on the other hand, people are somehow reluctant that you can measure the outcomes of education, mm -hmm. that you can boil down learning results and achievements um, to simple numbers. Mm -hmm. Education, I guess, uh, in Germany is still perceived as something like a, a transformation of the child that is happening that is not controllable in a, in a causalistic way. Mm -hmm. 
So the idea is education takes time. Children have to be exposed to something and then something is happening uh, in their mind, also with their bodies, that is favorable. So yeah, people are somewhat reluctant to, reluctant to the idea that you can make education a process measurable, uh, controllable to a certain extent. And I guess that is how, uh, for instance, Anglo-Saxon school systems are perceived here. Mm -hmm. um, the wrong idea that you can, you know, design education in a super controllable, technical way mm -hmm. uh, that you can boil down curricula to simple steps, simple little pieces of knowledge that bubble up at the end to, you know, to an aspect of being a grown, grown up person. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And going from there, you can then, you know, find certain differences. How subjects um, are perceived in Germany, their importance, and so on. Does it make sense until this point? It makes a lot of sense. So like if I was to talk about you, you would see the Anglo-Saxons as being overly fixated on numbers. And if you can't measure it, they don't take it into account. While you're saying that German education system is more about a holistic approach to education, which can't be boiled down to simple numbers. I guess, yes, that's true. Um, I, I myself, I, I would never say that there is a, a right or a wrong way. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm just coming from certain traditions that are somehow embedded in, yeah, they're embedded in the thinking, mm -hmm. in the thinking of teachers or people in the, in the administration and so on. Uh, on the other hand, of course, there is a lot of, you know, like there is change here. People, you know, embrace more the idea of, of continuous testing of um, the idea that you can use statistics and um, to get a better understanding of the child, where, how the child is developing and so on. It's not like, I, I guess like that the, the distinctions are getting more and more blurry. Mm -hmm. and, um, and also, I guess, also Germany and the idea of education gets Anglo-Saxonized in a way. <laughs> Because it's easier to explain to people in, in the outside of the education system when you give a number. So, for example, when you're talking to parents who want to be interested in their child's development, it's much easier to communicate with them when you use simple numbers. That's correct. Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, since, since the 60s, or I guess even longer, but since the 60s, there is a discussion in Germany. Should we get rid of Marx or not? Mm -hmm. I mean, on the one hand, we all know that marks don't reflect what the child knows mm -hmm. or not knows. So if you say um, in Germany, like the best grade you can have is a one and the worst is a six. So if you go to a parent and say, hey, your child has a four, what does it mean? Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean much. Um, um, it doesn't, it, it, it's not clear like what is this child is capable of. And of course it would make a lot of sense if you could give like an in-depth report what the child is capable of and what is not capable of. Um, on the other hand, um, uh, we more and more are or, or coming back to that point that if you go away from Marx, and this is happening in schools, um, especially like in, 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 in the first, the second grade, third grade, we try to avoid, in some schools we try to avoid Marx, that parents ask, how is my child doing? How is it, um, does it need support? And often there is like a surprise at the end, like, hey, actually your child didn't perform that well. So now we have like an entry test for secondary school. Your child is not performing uh, the way it should be. And then there is a big surprise. So you can, what I want to say is 
there is like an ongoing discussion about can we boil down, should we boil down what our child is in terms of education uh, to a number? And um, if you do that, you have an advantage, but you also have disadvantages. And um, so I guess that the discussion is going back and forth about this. Yes. That's but there is, doesn't seem to be like a truth or something. Uh, yes, I'd agree with you there. So recently you've started working in it with a Dutch company that you have recently acquired. Can you tell me, are there any differences with that Dutch company and the German company that you, you are coming from? Of course. So Klett managed last year to acquire the third largest um, uh, publisher focused on schools uh, in Holland. And um, since then I had the opportunity to learn more and more about the Dutch educational system and also the role of publishers there. The differences between Germany and Holland are, for me, significant. First of all, you could say when it comes to digitalization of the classroom, um, Holland uh, is way advanced. Um, we can see that it is quite normal for teachers to switch from printed uh, textbooks, from workbooks, into fully digital learning environments that are, of course, aligned with the textbook method they were using before, mm -hmm. uh, but that are using specific upsides technology just offers. So like this, the openness to adapt these kind of technologies and, and, and the openness to just try it out and to switch, we, we see that there is a, in, in, that, in that domain, there is a big difference compared to Germany. There is another, more from a business perspective, there is another difference. In Holland, you can see that publishers, the administration, and the distributors, which are playing a very, a textbook distributors, which are playing a very, very important role in Holland, are open to work together to make good solutions for schools, to offer schools good solutions to make uh, uh, um, um, learning environments accessible. So government, publishers, distributors work together to offer single sign-on solutions so that there is an easy way for students, for teachers to get access to the right content at the right place with the right performance and so on. That we were not able to do in Germany so far. So the, this, this idea of public-private partnership seems to be much easier in Holland than maybe in any other country we're, we're working so far. It's a good thing because it results in, in, in just better solutions for schools. And, and do you think there's a reason for that that is easy to explain or is it a variety of factors? I tend to, to explain it also with a certain, you know, like Dutch mentality or tradition. It seems to me that um, in Holland, the, the idea of working together to create these kind of partnerships, to see... Um, that for-profit uh, companies are not the enemy, in a sense, who are taking and eating away public budget, but are partners who help to create good solutions, um, that this perception is more common in Holland than in Germany. Mm -hmm. um, in Germany, you still, you still uh, see, for instance, that uh, ministries of education love to work with associations or with non-profit companies without really even checking if they have the right track record and track record and experience, because it just looks better if you spend uh, taxpayers' money for someone who says, "I'm not interested in making profit." 
So often not efficiency is uh, efficiency and effectiveness is then relevant. It's more like how this is perceived politically. Mm -hmm. Of course, you can imagine that I'm not super happy about this. I don't think that it's right. As a citizen, I would say this is not the smart way to do it or there are smarter ways. And I think Holland is a good example for that. Are there any other ideas or learnings that you are getting in Holland that you might bring back to Germany? Yes, I mean, recently, in the last few, few weeks, it, it changed a little bit my mind, for instance, when it comes to the introduction of smart learning environments or to increase the amount of screen time maybe students have to spend in the future. And that, uh, so I got inspired here in Holland, not because I believe students should have more screen time, but what we see in Holland is an incredible lack of teachers. So... There are some parts in Holland where there are like 10% of all um, workplaces where teachers work are unoccupied. So this is a disastrous situation for schools. And it's also disastrous um, um, for students because they have to spend a lot of time in schools without being taught, without having teachers around to have energy and time. Because of course, the rest of the teachers have somehow to compensate what is just like too much workload and too much stress. And um, I believe that with smart solutions where teacher time is combined in a smart way with screen time, with learning time where students can work alone or where they can learn in groups and where they can use technology can be something that helps. Is it the better education? I don't know. I'm not sure. But I think we have to come up with answers. And as long as we can, you know, ask a fairy to bring in new teachers, we have to compensate somehow. And um, actually in Holland, this is dramatic, the situation. Uh, we have now states in Germany where we have similar problems. Um, I know, for instance, in Bulgaria, we have this problem. So it's actually all over Europe that less and less people want to become teachers and we have to find ways to deal with that. And education can play a role. Um, why do you think there is this teacher crisis in some countries in Europe? Okay, at this point, I guess there's several, there's several reasons for that. I think there is not one single explanation. I guess like one aspect is that let's, when we talk about Germany, for instance, the job of a teacher gets tougher. It gets tougher every year because the teachers are challenged by more and more things they have to solve. It's not only the teaching, it's also that the administration asks for more and more extra work like mm -hmm. statistics, like data, collecting data and stuff. So teachers have to spend more and more time to, because uh, politicians feel teachers have to be held accountable for what they're doing and how they do it is that teachers have to provide extra information, do more paperwork and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And that comes together with the idea that students with disabilities, for instance, should be included in normal schools. Uh, so, and even if that's a good idea in most of the cases, teachers often are not trained for that, so they need extra time for that. And at the same time, especially the German society is becoming more and more heterogeneous. So you have more and more students with different cultural backgrounds, often with a certain uh, language capability and so on, and teachers have to compensate that too. So the job becomes harder. And at the same time, it's not that society is really uh, encouraging teachers and um, it, it, that society, you know, reflects how, what a kind of hard work teachers are doing. It's more like that if you open the newspapers, you read more about that teachers are lazy or that the teachers are capable or 
problems in schools and so on. So you have this, on the one hand, like growing pressure in your daily uh, reality. And at the same time, you see that people around you are looking at you, not valuing what you do and what you contribute. And I guess this is a kind of toxic mix um, that makes it less and less and less attractive to become a teacher, even if it is well paid, like in Germany. So especially in Germany, I think that is, that is, a, that is a good explanation. It's just like less attractive. It's a painful job and less attractive because of all of these factors. Okay, that's very interesting. Well, thanks very much, David. As usual, it has been enlightening talking with you. Thank you very much, Conor. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Future of Schools with Conor Flynn. If you like our show and want to know more about the future of schools or Adaptomy, check us out at www.adaptomy.com or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us next week when we talk to another leading light in the world of educational technology.